This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, Nasdaq obliterates Q3 earnings estimates and financial IPO is a go. SIBO buys bids and the London Metals Exchange ring is closed for another half year due to COVID. Euronext falls over and Mahua, New Jersey's biggest industry, hangs by a thread thanks to government intervention. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. Over in New Jersey, surrounded by the labor unions, a state representative, Mr. Gottheimer, was raising the alarm on the proposed New Jersey tax on financial transactions. Too late, methinks. NYSE and NASDAQ have threatened to leave New Jersey if the transaction tax goes ahead, noted data center dynamics. And indeed, I do suspect it's just too late for New Jersey. Withdrawing the tax now is merely a timing issue, given how desperate the tri-state area is for taxation revenue as it approaches the death spiral of insolvency. The soak the rich approach is deeply embedded in the region's politics. Wall Street's only defence is to deliver a polite, bloody nose where, anyway, the limitations of the New York data centre ecosystem are coming close to capacity on various metrics, such as, for example, stable power supply. A fresh data centre start on a clean sheet of paper out west will be best for the US parish and its future execution of orders. In a decade, Mahua, New Jersey, will for the financial industry amount to little more than a trivia question for exchange nerds with a footnote in electronic trading history. Indeed, there may be 50 ways to leave your lover and barely half a dozen means to exit a commercial airliner, but ultimately there's one way jurisdictions can get rid of businesses, raise taxes in a competitive digital era. The West beckons for the American trading infrastructure. Elsewhere, in terms of moves, the finance minister of Zimbabwe has, by the time you listen to this, opened the Victoria Falls Stock Exchange. Interesting to see how that one moves forward. In results this week, spectacular numbers from Nasdaq, plus 13% revenue growth, broadly based across the entire group company. The Adina Friedman revolution is marching ahead. 49 cents per share dividend, and indeed, Excellent results, obliterating the estimates. While meanwhile, the Nasdaq CEO noted the cloud is the future of the industry. Adina Friedman is precisely correct. Nowadays, a genuinely digital business leader has their head in the clouds for all the right reasons. Other results this week in brief. Charles Schwab beat their earnings estimate by about four cents. Interactive brokers disappointed they were 3% down on their earnings. And indeed also, not such a good news from the Indian Energy Exchange, hitherto a darling of the sector. 9% decline in Q2 profits. Deals this week? Well, it was a busy week for M&A in the parish. All the deals were, of course, in Exchange Invest Daily in considerable detail. This newsletter offers you all the insights you can possibly want for per person per annum. No one can afford to be without it in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. 
Cebu Global Markets, they agreed to acquire Bids Trading, an absolutely intelligent, sensible, coherent move. And indeed, how ironic, the Plato Partnership set out to shake up equities trading and their greatest legacy achievement in this regard was to create Batsibo Lis, large in scale, thanks to a chance meeting in the waiting room before presenting their respective wares to the Plato Partnership by Mark Hemsley and Tim Mahoney, respectively. This deal is totally sensible for SIBO, and indeed, once they had worked their way through the LiquidNet data room, it probably completed the SIBO conviction of this deal's soundness. Equally, it took time to get the SEC on side because of the rather curious loophole, which is now being closed in one way or another, whereby US SEC exchanges could not also own ATS platforms, unlike the case in Europe, for example. That seems odd, given that in the USA, of course, an exchange operator can own a multiplicity of exchanges which are all absolutely identical, apart from what amounts to little more than a micro-shuffle of execution difference. For SIBO, this is a simple, logical bolt-on, and indeed, one might argue, a defensive move in Europe, where they already have huge and very, very rapidly growing volume from their large-in-scale joint venture with bids. Thus, the deal has many ramifications. And indeed, I was delighted to briefly cherry-pick a few in Exchange Invest Weekly. If you'd like to subscribe, send me an email, patrick at derivativesvision.com, or drop by exchangeinvest.com and send us a note. Ultimately, the biggest losers in the SIBO bids structure must, of course, be both LiquidNet and indeed their bidder TPI cap. Indeed, as I noted this week, are TPI cap playing us for fools, or are they just cheapskates? I must admit to some shock and contempt when I read in the Financial Times what had been spun the previous week as major investments by the management supporting what is of course a deeply flawed deal to acquire LiquidNet by the already stressed TPI cap entity where the brokers rule the roost and shareholders are a significant part in the capital mix. Albeit the shareholders amount to little more than a vital spare if they are to be placed under significant dilution in a mooted forthcoming rights issue. As the Financial Times noted about this management share purchase, amid waning confidence, Chairman Richard Berliand and Chief Executive Nicola Bretto this week stepped into the fray and bought shares worth £57,000 and £23,000 respectively. Wow. So ultimately, last week's headlines about the TPI cap chairman and CEO investing to support the deal are more a case of having raided their petty cash boxes, they bought a few shares. To trumpet your support on what is collectively barely $100,000 in investment is an insult to the shareholders' intelligence, particularly after, as the FT notes, the TPI cap management have engineered another drop in the already sickly share price of a third in recent weeks. And that was indeed before this week, where the stock once again has been in decline. As the Financial Times concludes of Mr. Bretto, whose career, I believe, hangs by a thread. With so much at stake, he might have put more skin in the game. That sounds like a management epitaph to me. Meanwhile, don't forget if you're trying to get ahead of markets, if you're trying to understand the products of the future, what blockchain, cryptocurrency and the like can do for you in order to manage to keep your job in the future of a very competitive marketplace. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, it's a victory or death environment. And that's why my new book is indeed titled Victory or Death. Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. It's an easy read explaining the differing and diverging role of banks and exchanges, giving you the winning business models of the new world order and placing in perspective just what all these new fangled fintech innovations, including Bitcoin, blockchain and cryptocurrency, mean for markets. 
It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital marketplace, hence the title Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times for finance and the precarious times for your career in which we're living. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. While you're waiting for your copy of Victory or Death to arrive, don't forget to check out our live stream Tuesdays at 6pm London time, 1pm New York time coming up this week. Alistair Haynes, the founder, entrepreneurial exchange executive of Aquas Exchange. He's going to be talking to us about subscription models and much more. You can catch this and indeed all of the back issues on YouTube via IPO-vid. The live stream can also be found on Facebook and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In Cryptoland this week, the bad news from Cryptoland was another delay in the rehabilitation plan for Mt. Gox. And meanwhile, amid stories that a founder of OKEX had been arrested, the OKEX exchange, which seemingly has a joint venture with the Malta Stock Exchange in the legacy world, was itself stopping withdrawals from the OKEX platform. Worrying times as, well, opacity, confusion, and not letting people have their money back on demand amount in my book to three impossible things before breakfast. When it comes to generating the sort of consumer confidence that exchanges are supposed to exude, I think crypto is falling far short. Meanwhile, we also had, well, another day, another Binance shuffle as Binance Jersey shut its operations less than two years after launch. Nobody knows where this exchange is actually based, and now it loses another office in a credible, regulated financial centre. In better crypto news, the Bahamas have launched the world's first CBDC, that's Central Bank Digital Currency, the Sand Dollar. Plaudits to the Bahamas for a full rollout, while the Chinese are still rolling out their very, very interesting digital dollar, or lead digital yuan. And also, we're hearing plans from, amongst others, the Moscow Central Bank, at a point in time when the ruble itself is under pressure once again on the international markets. Finally, a statement of wild optimism. A digital euro is very likely within a decade, said Finland's chief central banker. Well, that is indeed significant optimism, ladies and gentlemen, if the boss of the Finnish central bank thinks the euro will still be in existence in a decade's time. In product news this week, some crushing news for the CME, as JP Morgan worried about their volume outlook. Whether it's the barges or the Cushing crisis, the exchange-traded derivatives energy balance has, it seems, shifted decisively. JP Morgan reckoned that oil product futures have shifted from 52% to 43% in favour of CME to precisely the opposite, 43% to CME and 52% to the ICE. Following the CME's mismanagement of WTI contracts became apparent some months ago. That shift strikes me as all the more dramatic, given CME has that huge wadge of quasi-passive business from oil ETNs, exchange-traded funds, exchange-traded notes and such like, as well as retail hedges in spread bets through CFDs and much, much more. In essence, if the headline number is now 53.42 in favour of ICE, I'm minded to think the commercials are now indeed departing CME in droves. And let's face it, which board would willingly put up with the sort of basis risks which emerged during the Cushing crisis. Elsewhere, big news of the week, 
Apart from the fact that Europe's biggest ever e-commerce flotation of last week, Allegro has now already spawned the birth of Allegro Stock Futures on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. Of course, that's a mere nothing, a mere bagatelle, despite the Warsaw Stock Exchange's great success compared to Jack Ma's Ant Group. They've received their Hong Kong and Chinese exchange regulatory approval for the upcoming IPO. Let the records roll. It looks like it's going to be a world record in terms of the amount of money offered, beating even Saudi Aramco just a year or so back on the Saudi Tadawal Exchange. Technology news this week amounted to a bit of a tisk tisk oh dear, oh dear, oh dear segment. The Tokyo Stock Exchange continues to buy, apologise, scrape and do all sorts of things, saying that it's going to do everything within its power to avoid the recent and profoundly embarrassing fallover. Meanwhile, Euronext, they had a monster problem which affected pretty much the entirety of the Euronext empire during the course of two glitches on Monday, becoming the latest exchange to suffer a near-day outage. They reckoned the blame was, well, middleware, which was somewhat vague to put it mildly. We termed it an exchange invest, a tale of two glitches. Euronext does Dickens for the digital age. Hopefully that wasn't against the background of another French revolution. I do have some sympathy given the complexity of systems within Euronext. And indeed, during the open outcry era, we rarely managed a week on any major floor without some sort of data feed failing. That said, exchanges in certain cases have a remarkable ability to preach hypocritically. Thus, the all public companies must be transparent in disclosures message to listing can all too easily turn into codified gibberish when there's a problem in the bourse itself. Tartly stating middleware is about as useful as that pithy but bland exhortation to a young Dustin Hoffman encouraging his future career pertaining to plastics in The Graduate. Perhaps Mrs. Robinson will emerge from a Euronex data centre and enlighten us much more specifically in the near future. Regulation news this week? Well, the Bank of England were offering huge speeches on environmental finance. Andrew Hauser, the Executive Director of Markets, spoke to the Investment Association and talked about from hot air to cold hard facts, how financial markets are finally getting a grip on how to price climate risk and return. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, hot air has a price. Just ask the central bankers. Elsewhere, big news of the week in clearing. The US CFTC and the Bank of England have signed a new MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, for the supervision of cross-border clearing organisations. This matters on several levels. For one, two grown-up organisations who understand central counterparty clearing are talking to each other much closer than ever. That's excellent news. Meanwhile, the other level relates to politics. Ignore the endless stream of perma-piffle, which is the European Union's protectionist jilted spouse in the throes of divorce drivel. Like everything else in fairyland, I mean the Brussels bubble, that ignores any vestige of currency come economic reality in the world of clearing derivatives. If you don't understand that, go Google my CapEx article from some years ago, which neatly outlined what was going to happen in the world of central counterparty clearing and indeed proved entirely prescient as to where we are now. A US trade pact may be difficult with the likelihood of the blinkered tax-hiking anti-trade Joe Biden coming to power, especially given the fact he's a moderate, but probably a moderate puppet, compared to his own party's crazy base, who is as economically illiterate as the European Union. But this is a very strong sign, this clearing agreement, that the US recognises the UK CCPs and sees them as the backbone of the only top-tier European financial centre. Moreover, CFTC, Bank of England are taking action in a way that is systemically vital, but far too detailed, methinks, for whoever is in the White House come next year. People News, just one story. Nasdaq have announced the retirement of their chief financial officer, Michael Potasnik. 
All the very, very best to him. Presumably, if he returns to his native Canada, I suppose we might see him on the Nasdaq Canada board in the near future. Meanwhile, congratulations to Anne Dennison, the controller and chief accounting officer of Nasdaq, who's been appointed as CFO. And thus, ladies and gentlemen, I'll leave you with one interesting aside in the world of financial centres. Japan is planning a regulatory hub for foreign brokers who can file their paperwork in English. Now, that is a somewhat seismic shift in the previously foreign bank averse Tokyo Osaka Financial Centre. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for tuning in to this episode 68 of the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast with myself, Patrick L. Young. Have a great week in markets. And don't forget, if you want all the details every day on what's happening in the business of bourses, subscribe to Exchange Invest. More details at exchangeinvest.com. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.